Well, Talking Church, it is a special day because I am joined by my grandma on the podcast today. Grandma, thanks so much for being here. Well, I'm glad to be here, but I'm scared to death. Which is funny because you've spoken to a lot of different groups of people, but I told you, I, I realized my mistake, I told you far too far in advance about this. Yes. And so you had time to think about it. I should have just told you this morning or yesterday. And then you used the word podcast. Yeah, and you asked me just a bit ago, like, said, what is a podcast? What is that? <laughs> I said, just think like radio. It's not. <laughs> radio with cameras. So whether you're listening or watching this, uh, w- really we've we've heard your story. And by we, I mean we at conference two years ago or, or last year, we talked about this. You shared on Mother's Day weekend here at River Valley. You've been in a number of my dad's books and shared at youth groups all over, but we've never really talked about your story in its wholeness. And obviously we can't get to every part of it, but we've talked about before and I've joked with you that I'm going to write your biography when Mm -hmm. you die. Um, But I, I think it's true that you have such an amazing testimony and people ask about our family and I think sometimes they look at it and say oh look at your your parents are pastors and you're a pastor now your brother's a pastor you know everything's gone perfect right and what we try to share with them is that's not true but you really are a key person in our family that has changed the trajectory of our family and so obviously that's an important thing but wanted to Talk about what that means and what your life was like before Christ, after Christ, and all the ups and downs on the way. Sounds good. So y- your biography starts off, I think, better than any biography out there. And it picks up in Hawaii on the day of Pearl Harbor when your father was on a Navy ship mm-hmm. when it was being bombed and your mom was pregnant with you. Talk about that whole experience. My mother and my older brother, he was two years old, and when and they were living on Pearl Harbor on the base. And when the bombs started dropping, she took my brother and ran into the sugarcane fields to get away from the bombs. And she was two months pregnant with me, and my name was supposed to be Kailani. Wow. But then after about two months, they shipped him back home, shipped him back to the States. So your father survived. Yes. He was on one of the ships, but it wasn't yes. one of the ones that sunk. It wasn't in the harbor. It was out uh, out to sea, Got but it. it did get bombed. Got yeah. it. So it wasn't one of the ones that was no. bombed worse. But So you moved back from, or your, your family moves back to yes. Florida? or New Bedford, New Bedford, Massachusetts. So he was stationed in the military all over yep. the place. And talk about your dad. I know you've shared this before, but it was not the most, it wasn't an ideal situation. No, no. He was, he was uh, really a wonderful man in the fact that he was a brilliant man. He took care of people. He was generous. He was kind. He did things for people all the time. But once you shut the door of our house, he became a different person. Mm. And he, my two brothers, he, he was very mean to them. He expected them to be just like the people that he commanded. And he would beat them. And he didn't touch me because he had a code of honor that you didn't hit women, you didn't touch women. But I had to watch that. And so I always resented the fact that people saw him as such a good person. Mm. And I saw him as a different person. 
Yeah, you, you said at times he would like go through your room and inspect it. Oh, yes, it. yes. He, he, if I wanted to go somewhere, if he was in one of his moods, he would come into the room and he would say it's not clean enough and he would take everything out of my closets and drawers and throw it on the floor. And so I would pick everything up and clean everything and I thought dust couldn't even land in that room, it's so clean. And he came in and took the back of my radio off and that's when there were tubes and radios and he put his hand over the tubes and he said it's filthy and he pulled everything out again. Mm -hmm. And it was just that kind of severe living, you know. Um, he would say things, if you're 10 minutes late, that would be like lighting a cigarette on a ship and the enemy could see it and it would blow it up, you know. And I'm like, yeah, I don't think we have too many ships around here that are going to get blown up, but that's how. And it was just the military and his way of doing things. Now, since he's been gone, I've been able to see more of the good things that he did. But when I was living it, it was very difficult. To and you see. weren't, your family wasn't Christian. Did you ever go to church? Or? Oh, we went to church all the time. We Got went it. to church all the time. Every Sunday we went to church, and I hated it. Mm. I hated it because I thought everybody in there was as big of a phony as my family, mm. that you're all nice on the outside, and, you know, you shake everybody's hand and do everything for everybody. And then when you go home and shut the door, you're some kind of crazy person. So I didn't have any respect for anyone in church. I, I had a love for God, which was crazy. I couldn't figure that out, but I didn't want to be around him. <laughs> I was afraid of him. Why were you afraid? Because it was the same thing with my father. Mm. You know, I looked at God and I saw him the same way that if I did something wrong, mm. I would be punished. And, and not just punished, but severely punished, you know. And then Jesus, I thought, well, he's got to be okay because he died on the cross for me. And then the Holy Spirit, I had no idea what he was, and I didn't want to know. I was really afraid of him as well. What was your mom like? Uh, my mother was—she took care of everybody, but she was an enabler. She was an enabler, and, and as I grew up, I found that very distasteful as well. You know, it was kind of a combination of you're too strict and you're too lenient, and uh, the only time that we had peace was when my dad was gone, was at sea. When he was gone, what types of behaviors were your brothers wild? Were you felt free, or how, how did you respond when he was gone? I, I think we were a pretty pretty normal family when my dad wasn't there. You know, um, my older brother got in a lot of trouble. Unfortunately, he he was uh, he was a genius. He had a very high IQ, and he was six foot five and very handsome. And he knew it, and he took advantage of people. He took advantage of people all the time. My younger brother was totally different. He was a giver, you know, but... Uh, and one of them ended up getting arrested for skipping school, right? My younger brother, my younger brother, when he was probably 12 or 13, uh, skipped school all the time. And what is so funny is he'd skip school and go get a job and then give the money to the homeless people. <laughs> but he just didn't want to And then he got arrested for doing it. Yeah, well, my dad had him arrested. 
and they put him in a um, reform school. Mm. And he was beat there. And so he kept running away and running away. And so finally, even at like 13 or 14, they put him in a prison, an actual prison. And uh, he was there for several years. And then he got out and ended up going back in there for some minor charge and then finally decided he was going to get his life straightened out and actually had his uh, sentence commuted. He, the governor freed him and took his, took his record away, and he became a guard in the prison that he was a prisoner in. <laughs> wow. And so it was a complete turnaround story. And he has prayed the prayer of salvation, but he doesn't have any joy. Hmm. He didn't get the joy. And your your older brother, he... My older brother was an alcoholic, and he several different times tried to take his life. But this one particular time, he, he did, and then he changed his mind. They said they could tell he changed his mind. He was out in the middle of a field, and he was trying to back the car up and get out, and his tires got stuck, and he couldn't get out. And so... Terrible, terrible, sad, because he was so smart and could have, you know, uh, could have had such a wonderful life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, we look at this trajectory of our family, and mm-hmm. it, I mean, at this point, it was very hardened and serious. I know it was your grandfather or great-grandfather that was an yeah. indentured servant yep. on essentially like a, a slave to the captain yep. of a whaling, on a whaling ship. ship. Yes. And I remember we were in Boston at the whaling museum and my dad said, oh, my, my relative was uh, on a whaling ship and he eventually, after getting out of his you know, servanthood became a captain. And the guy at the whaling museum goes, well, your great-grandfather was a terrible man. Yes, and so, yes. I know you you told stories about your grandpa, just hardened. Very mean, very mean. My great-grandfather, yeah. Very, very, same thing. You know, I had a very hard life, you know, and nobody stopped it. Yeah. Nobody stopped where they were going. I remember you told the story of one day he, the kitten had a litter or Mm -hmm. something and he threw it in the oven, is that right? Yep. He said, I told that cat not to have kittens, and he threw the cat and the kittens in a fire. So we're going to get to the point where you get saved here in a little bit, but later in life, you actually had the chance to lead your father to faith right before he died. Talk about how difficult that was, but even you understanding grace in a new way to where you see a man who... Again, you, you knew was a hypocrite. You knew was was not a good father, even though he was maybe a good man in the community. Yeah. Pro- talk about how you process through that man receiving grace. I didn't even think twice about it. I, I There was no processing. I wanted him in heaven. I want everybody in heaven. <laughs> you know, I, I don't want people not to be in heaven. And so I talked to my dad and asked him if he wanted to accept Christ, and he said, no, I'm not good enough. And I said, no, you're not. And he said, your mother was good enough. And I said, no, she wasn't. And he said, uh, fine, he would accept Christ. He would, And I knew that he believed in God, but he had no relationship. And once again, he knew God, but he had no joy. 
And there should be joy after you receive God. After you know God, there should be joy in your life. There should be so many things that, that bring you joy. And he didn't have that. But he was saved. Even at his funeral, though, for you, as you're processing him, knowing that he accepted Christ at the end of his life, you said that you thought something at the funeral. <laughs> you're really making me share everything, aren't you? <laughs> I did. We were all together, and there were two things. Um, one, I said, ding dong, the wicked witch is dead. Mm. And that was kind of like a finishing thing for me that I didn't have to worry anymore. I didn't have to. I knew he was in heaven, and I was happy that he was in heaven, but I was also glad that he wasn't here anymore. You know, and I started talking about how he had done all these things, and your Uncle Ryan stopped me, and he said, hey, I don't want to hear these things. He said, he was really good to us, and I loved him, and I want to keep that memory. And I thought, you know, you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. That's history. That's history. And future is something different. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you, you've lived it in your life. How, maybe just in a general sense, how have you learned to leave those things in the past? I think a lot of times, and we're going to talk about this a little bit later too, but a lot of times people hold on to the, the chains, so to speak, that hold them or the, the history of their family, and they can never overcome it, right? It's maybe years past of history, uh, maybe distant history, not even of your own family, but it's it's hold, held on to them almost like this generational curse mm -hmm. or it's like sometimes a badge of excuse, right? Well, that's why I'm an alcoholic mm -hmm. or that's why I'm abusive because of that. What, what were ways that you saw that you were different versus maybe some of your friends who still held on to that? I try not to give myself too many excuses. You know, I look at my bad behavior and sometimes I'll say to God, okay, I know I'm being bad and I know this is wrong and I shouldn't think this way and I'll just stay like this for about two, three days and then I'll give it up. <laughs> so I kind of negotiate and decide, but I don't want it in my life. Mm -hmm. And I think, why would I want to keep it in my life? You know, I like to look forward, not backwards. And you can't look backwards and have that joy. So I choose to look forward. Well, in looking forward, I want to keep going backwards in your story as mm -hmm. we keep moving forward. But so again, taking a step back as you get out of the house now, yep. you become an adult. So obviously you're out of your, your parents' home. You got a job as a flight attendant. Right. Talk about that. You weren't following Jesus. No. I mean, you, again, you'd gone to church growing up, no. but you were a flight attendant and you had a boyfriend. Yep. Talk about that. Actually, we weren't called flight attendants back then. We were called stewardesses. <laughs> and we had to wear uniforms and hats and high heels. And yes, I moved from Florida, because that's where we were living then, to Minnesota. And I was a prime target. I was a prime target. I was a young girl. Um, living up here by myself, you know, just meeting people. And the very first day that I moved to Minnesota, I was carrying my suitcases upstairs to the apartment, and I couldn't carry all of them up. And when I came back down, somebody had stolen my suitcase. So that was the very first welcome that I had from Minnesota. And so I was very vulnerable, and I was dating, 
you know, I was dating a guy and, of course, ended up pregnant. And it was one of the hardest days of my life. Had to give her up for adoption. Talk about that decision. I mean, at the time, obviously, abortion's a big topic right now. Back then, was that a a topic? Was it an option? Absolutely, it was an option. I was a flight attendant or a stewardess, and uh, people were flying to New York and getting abortions, and I never thought of that. That never, ever entered my mind. Did the guy you were dating bring it up, or was he not even involved? No, no. I I mean, I I just wasn't going to discuss that. I just wasn't. You know, and I knew people that were doing that. It wasn't an uncommon thing. Why do you think you didn't discuss it? Like what? You weren't a person of faith at the time. I don't know. I don't know because, no, I was not a person of faith. I was not. But I guess I had a little bit of a code of honor. I don't know. I, I felt like I didn't have a right to destroy someone else's life. You know, and so, No. So you you put her up for adoption, and that was that for quite a while. That was what? That was that for quite a while, right? Absolutely. You just went on with your life? Absolutely. I I remember when you told my dad, I mean, I I don't remember this, but he's told this story. When you told him, he said, there's no way that can be true because Mm -hmm. on my birth certificate, it says number of previous births, zero. Mm -hmm. Talk about that. Well, you didn't have to put it down. So you're saying the doctor lied? Oh, of course. Because at the time your dad was still alive. Yes. And so did you keep it from him? Absolutely. So you were pregnant and had a baby and he had no idea? None. None whatsoever. None of my family knew. Did your mom know? No. Wow. No. Nope. I just took care of it myself and... I guess that shows the difference of time period, right? I think about now, I'm thinking, how could you get away with not being seen by anyone for nine months? Yes, life was a lot better without all the phones. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think a lot of us are envying some of that a little bit. But later in life, you you put to the adoption agency mm-hmm. that you would be open yes. to yes. getting connected. And yes. then she did as well. Yes. Talk about how that, how you came back to meeting your daughter who you'd never seen before or never seen since you gave birth? Well, I think I think the part in there is that by this time I was saved. Yeah, afterwards. Yeah. And I was very strongly involved with my faith and with doing things, you know, with schools. None of your your dad, your uncles, no one knew. No one knew. You know, um, my husband knew. He knew. Um and so having to admit that, being more or less what you'd call somebody strong in the church, uh, did a lot of church things, you know, people wouldn't expect this. That wasn't something, you know, it was like that hidden past. And I had to choose between, do I meet her or do I keep my past hidden? Mm. Because I could keep it hidden, and just go along my merry way, but I couldn't do that. And so then I had to tell everyone, and I was also helping at a Christian school, so I had to tell everybody there too. So it was it was a tough decision, but one that was made long before, you know, uh, long before that day that I was going to meet her. Did you feel, how did the church and the Christian school respond? Were they Were they open arms or were they pretty against it? Everybody, everybody welcomed her with open arms. Everyone did. 
everyone did. Now, when I first got saved, I was sharing my story. And a woman came over to me and she said, oh, I'm so sorry for you. I just don't understand. I've never sinned like that. You know, I've never sinned. And I looked at her and I thought, boy, you're in trouble. (laughs) At least I know (laughs) that I've sinned. So after you, going back here, after you you put, Janine is her name, Mm -hmm. after you put Janine up for adoption, um, you went on, but eventually you met Grandpa. Yes. And at that point, again, you're not saved. I know we're jumping back and forth here in the story, but talk about meeting Grandpa, what was different about him, and then eventually you guys get saved. But talk first how you met and, yeah. Well, I think it's so funny because people always ask me, oh, was your husband a pastor? Because your dad's a pastor, and we've got pastors all over our family. And I'm like, yeah, that would be a no. (laughs) No. When I met him, he had a bottle of beer in one hand and his cigarette package rolled up in his T-shirt sleeve. Uh, And a neighbor introduced us, you know, and we dated. Actually, uh, I only dated him for about eight or nine weeks and we decided to get married. But I wasn't a Christian, so I didn't have the same feeling about marriage that a Christian would feel. I was like, well, if it doesn't work out, I'll just get another one. (laughs) So it wasn't a big deal. But a lot of people at that point, marriage is what you did. Yeah, yeah. What year was that? What year did you get married? I don't know, 65? Okay. I think 65. I'm too old to remember numbers. And so... We, the day that we were getting married, my best friend asked me, she said, do you love him? And I said, no, but I like him better than I've ever liked anybody. <laughs> that was on your wedding day. Yes, but you have to understand, love had been a pretty harsh word to me. You know, I didn't trust the word love at all. And so like was really good. You know, it was really good. Now... He went to the uh, Lutheran church, and so I thought, well, I don't care because I don't have anything, you know, I don't— But did you talk about, like, religion, Christianity at all in your dating or anything that was never brought up? Are you kidding? (laughs) No. 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 I don't even think I knew he was Lutheran. (laughs) I just found out because we got married in the Lutheran church. (laughs) So we went to, we would go to church, and the people asked us if we would teach Sunday school, the eighth grade Sunday school. And I thought, you've got to be kidding. I have never read the Bible in my entire life. So their vetting process was not super strong. (laughs) Zero. We were breathing. I think that's all it took. Did you do it? Yes. Yes. So you're learning it with the kids. I had to study the lesson before the kids did it, and then I'd teach them, and boy, if they asked a question, I was in trouble because I did not know. Now, my husband should have known. He was saved, and he had gone through all the classes and everything, you know, but he was not walking with the Lord, you know, even though he was going to church and even though he had gone to confirmation class and all the classes, he was just as bad as I was. We were not Christians at all. What made you like him so much, though? He was so kind. He was just a wonderful Oh, don't ask me about him. 
um, when when you look at getting saved, right? Yes. So you're 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 not neither of you are walking with the Lord. I mean, again, no. you're teaching Sunday school, no. but you mm-hmm. shouldn't have been. No. Um, what, what was that moment where it became real for you? I don't know exactly when it happened, but uh, it's it's and I and I have it here, Jeremiah twenty nine thirteen, where it says, "Seek the Lord." And all of a sudden, I st- after reading and doing the Sunday school lessons, I started thinking, "Hey, there might be something to this." You know, I'm going to start checking this out and asking questions. And so, instead of asking questions from people, I started asking, where are you, God? Where are you? And then I'd ask my friends, does anybody know where God is? And, you know, people laugh because you you look a little weird when you go around and asking people, hey, do you know where God is? And they'd say, try this church. I'd go, no, he's not there. Nope, he's not here either. Nope. And I'm looking all over the place for God and seriously looking for him. And then... Uh, one of my friends, Jeannie, she called me and she said, I think I found him. And so we went down to the Lutheran Conference on the Holy Spirit, and sure enough, there was God. And so I accepted Christ that night. My husband rededicated his life, and I became the most radical Christian. <laughs> I became the kind of Christian that people talk about and say, don't do this. <laughs> what, what types of things? Like how, how did your life change? Well, the first thing, we went to the pastor and we said, okay, we started reading the Old Testament, which probably wasn't a good idea. And we started asking, okay, what can we eat? What's forbidden? What's, what no do shrimp. we do? Yeah. And what do we have to sacrifice? And what do we, you know, we were like all these different things. And so the pastor said, I think you should start in the book of John, you know. And so I just started grabbing, you know, going to every—I went to the Lutheran Church, the Baptist Church. I went to the Catholic Charismatic. I went everywhere that I could go that I could learn more about God. And I How think— How old were it, you at the time? Oh, 31. 31. It was the same year your dad got saved, only he was seven. And I think God took me to all those places to show me that there are Christians in every church because I was very bitter and thought that they were all phonies. And so he was showing me, no, I have people everywhere. I have people everywhere that are truly believers and that, you know. When when you got saved, you took some radical steps, though. Like I remember the story that my dad tells about the button. <laughs> The button is an easy story. <laughs> I had him wear a button to school. I don't know what it said. Jesus saves or something I like that. I think he says it said, I'm a Jesus people. I'm a Jesus people. I don't know. I didn't think that was so bad. It was a lot better than me telling them when they were like, they were probably in second and f- first grade or kindergarten and second grade. And I told them, I said, if you're at the bus stop and somebody says, that they're going to cut your tongue out if you don't deny Jesus. Don't worry, you don't need your tongue. (laughs) Or if they're going to kill you, don't worry, you're going to go straight to heaven. So don't worry, don't deny Jesus. I mean, I was that terrified that they would deny Jesus and that they would walk away. And I thought, it's a wonder they're Christians. (laughs) (laughs) Did you, how did, like, 
was grace a concept that you understood that you believed was good enough for you or was it still that fear of God that you were like, I, I understand that he's savior. I understand there's real Christians, but I'm still afraid. Or did you grab a hold of grace with both hands? No, I did not. Um, after I got saved, I continually was plagued by the enemy. You know, uh, do you remember this? Do you remember that? And you drive by somewhere. Do you remember this? Do you remember this? And I would just be, oh, God, I'm so sorry. Please forgive me. Please forgive me. And then finally, I had a heart-to-heart talk with God where God really spoke to me and said, look, either you believe that you're forgiven or I'm a liar. And when faced with that, I knew that I had to forgive myself, and I had to believe that God forgave me. And that was a big thing. That was a really big thing. I think it's it's so hard for people to forgive themselves. But if we don't forgive ourselves, then we're not believing that God forgives us. Hmm. That's good. So, When you think about as you're walking, as you're growing in your faith, what do you look back now as a 31-year-old? You know, now you're, I'll let you say your age if you want to. Um, but what would you wish you knew at 31 that you know now? You know, I, that's kind of a tough question because at 31 and I had just gotten saved, I was pretty happy. And by the way, I'm 80, almost 81, four more weeks. (laughs) And so I was pretty happy at 31 that, that I had found God. And so I don't know that I would change. Well, maybe I. No, nah, I'd probably still be as radical. I'm still as radical. Yes, you so, are. yeah. So, I probably wouldn't change that. I would like to go back further and know God, mm. you know. Uh, but at the same time, I know that there's a reason why all the things happened in my life and the fact that God turned it all around. I literally when I got saved, drew a line in the sand and said, that's it. None of this comes into my family. None of it. I, I, there's a line there. The enemy cannot cross it. And I claimed every one of my children, my grandchildren, everybody for the Lord. And another thing that you and Grandpa did is you fostered children. Yes. And you volunteered at the Battered Women's Shelter. Oh. Was that because of of Janine and was it because of the abuse you dealt with or why why would you foster and why would you help in that way I mean obviously you're a Christian now yeah no actually we started when we started I wasn't a Christian Mm. Uh, we started uh, because I had two little boys and I know most people are going to just shudder when I say this but I was bored to death because there's just so much house cleaning you can do and so much you can do with two little boys, and I wanted more. I wanted to contribute more. I didn't so you want never a worked job. Out once, once you had kids, you never worked no, outside the home? No. Yeah. I wanted to be with the kids, and uh, so I talked your grandfather into joining the JCs, which is a community program, so that I could go. And the very first night that we were there, uh, this probation officer, Diane uh, Finney, she was speaking that they needed homes for teenage girls. And these were teenage girls that were on probation. They had either been arrested or been in a treatment program. 
And I thought, oh, that, I, that sounds great. That sounds perfect. I, I want to do this. And I came home and told your grandfather, and he said, okay, but this is your thing, not my thing. You know, this is your thing. And they told us that we'd have three or four months training, and a few weeks later, we had our first girl. We didn't know what we were doing, but I figured I had done everything that they would want to do so I could catch them, you know. And I, again, I wasn't a Christian then. We were going to church, but I, I wouldn't call myself this a Christian. This is when Christian. you were teaching Sunday school. Exactly. I wouldn't have called myself a Christian. I would have called myself a person going to church, you know, but I would not have put myself in the same where I am now, not at all. And so we started taking, and the first girl ended up going to jail. And then they called me from jail. She called me from jail, and she said, hey, I met a friend. Can I bring her home? <laughs> so, so now we had two girls, and we just kept doing that. Your dad was probably two and a half, three years old when we first started taking foster children. And Rick, my second son, was about six months old. So actually... They never grew up. They didn't grow up at all without other people living in the home. And at one point, I shudder when I say this, we had 13 kids in our house. We had nine foster children and our four boys. How many bedrooms was this house? Four. Four. (laughs) And in one bedroom, in the bedroom upstairs, we had, this is where your dad and your uncles lived. We had your dad in bunk beds and Rick, and then a trundle bed underneath for Roger, and then Ryan in a crib. So the four boys shared a room. <laughs> yeah, they shared a room. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. When you look back at that time, do you laugh? Do you, I mean, w- w- what are those memories like? What- I love them. I love the memories. I love the memories. I love seeing the girls change. I, I love participating in people's lives and having a purpose. And I ended up uh, working at the Battered Women's Shelter because one of our foster kids ended up there after she was in a relationship. And so I went over there to see her and I just fell in love with her, you know, fell in love with the place and just, so once again, I did the button thing. I started working there and I was doing an overnight and I, I would wear the button, Jesus saves or pray, you know, and my boss said, you can't do that. And so then I'd tell people that I pray for them. She said, you can't do that either. <laughs> you know? So I started asking God, why do you have me here if I can't pray for these people? What's the whole point? You know, I don't want a job. You know, I've already got a bunch of kids. And I was doing an overnight, and the doorbell rang, and this woman was at the door, and she said, where am I? And I said, you're at a battered women's shelter. And she started to cry, and she said, I shouldn't be here. And so then I let her in, because it was a secure building. I let her in, and she fell into my arms, and she said, you don't understand. I shouldn't be here. And I said, no one should be here. And she said, but you don't understand, my husband's a pastor. Mm -hmm. And so I got to share with her and talk with her and minister to her. And then I knew why God had me there. And so each time that God would do something in my life, it would be, I don't know why you're having me do this. And I'd have to wait and find out, but I'd do it. And then the word started getting around, and then people 
would ask us to pray all the time. And there was a, another gal, Beverly Johnson, from Crosstown Campus. She worked there as well. And so we could pray for people. You know, there were that little light in there. You've talked about hearing God's voice mm-hmm. quite frequently, and I'm sure you've been asked this question at the young adult groups you go to mm-hmm. and youth groups, and uh, you've you've traveled quite a bit over this last couple of years sharing mm-hmm. your story. And how do you know that you hear the voice of God? Well, I, in the very beginning, I didn't know, you know, and so because I, I didn't have an understanding of it, you know, uh, but I knew that I wanted these gifts, from the Holy Spirit. I knew that I wanted that supernatural. I didn't want to live here. I wanted to live here. And so I started a notebook, and on one side, I would put down what I believed God was telling me, and then the other side, I would wait until there'd be an answer or a confirmation. And so I just kind of, kind of checked it out because I thought, you could be hearing from God or you could be crazy, you know. So I thought I better find out which one it was. And it continually, God continually showed me that it was him. And because it happened so often, I became very sure about the voice of God and and hearing the connection and hearing what he's telling me. Yeah, it's, I think it's Deuteronomy that says the test of a prophet, right, is if it comes true. Mm-hmm. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> You're starting to see these things happen when you and, go. And I hold that to a very high standard, a very 100% standard. Mm-hmm. I, I don't give myself any wiggle room at all, no wiggle room. Mm-hmm. And there have been times when God has told me things that I was like, do I dare say this out loud? Any of those you can share with us? I don't know which. What well, is there a time where you you got something that God told you that you were supposed to share with someone, and you thought, "Uh, uh-uh, uh, I'm not doing that." Well, there were lots of times, and I did it anyway. But uh, probably, um, no, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Some of them, some of the ones that I would question, or that I probably I should be able to find out from people if they. Right, because be it's okay. about their life or yes, something. Yes, it's about yeah. their but, life. But there's been times where you've had to ask or tell some serious stuff. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Usually are people, do people deny it or what? It doesn't matter to me at all. It doesn't matter. One of the things that uh, that I learned was that uh, I would take on the problem. If God told me something, like, see, he told me something for you, and I tell you, and then you don't do it. Now I'm thinking, what's my responsibility to make you do it? And so God had to teach me, and he, it was a really simple lesson. He said, Isabel, you're the mailman. You deliver the mail. Now when your mailman delivers your electric bill, does he come to you three days later and say, hey, Isabel, I gave you the electric bill three days ago, and I haven't seen it come back. You haven't paid it yet. No, he doesn't. He delivers the mail, and then he leaves. And that's what God said to me. I'm asking you to deliver my mail. I'm not asking you to enforce it. And I was like, oh, that is so much easier. It's so much easier. I don't want to be the enforcer. Let the Holy Spirit be the enforcer. That's good. I think a lot of people were just set free right there. Um, Jumping to starting the church. Right. 
um, my parents. I wasn't born yet at the time, but how did that conversation go? They were youth pastors in mm -hmm. Milwaukee. Did they come to you and say, hey, we're planting a church? Did they tell you about it right away? I mean, my dad was a man of faith. What, what was that conversation? Yeah, no, he just told us that he wanted, you know, he wanted to do it, and there was an ulterior motive for me because Connor was coming back. And so I was like, you can plant whatever you want for bringing my grandson back into my neighborhood. That's great. You know, so uh, we stood with him. His whole family stood with him. And I knew that if it wasn't God, you know, he was in trouble. <laughs> and there were lots of times that I thought, whoa. But it was, again, letting you know, climb the mountain. And, I, and God just shared something with me the other day that I shared with someone that I thought was so good. It's that you have these mountains that you climb, and you get up on the top, and there's such a short amount of time that you're on the top, and then you're back down again. And then you've got another mountain to climb. But every time there's another mountain, he gives you more equipment. You're trained better. And so you get up that mountain better. You can climb it easier. And so the things that are tough, I, I see as learning, you know. And I didn't like it when I was going through it, you know. And I wish the top on top of the mountain was a little bit bigger. Yeah, it's a small part. Yeah, it's a small part, you know. And then that slide down is really fast and then back up again. How was... Uh the preaching, did you give him feedback when, when he preached when he was younger? Obviously, now you give him feedback uh, quite did a bit. Did I give him yeah, feedback? Yeah, I mean, yes. he's a young pastor. <laughs> yes. He's trying his best, starting a church. Yes, yes. Your mother is so nice. Your mother is so nice. He'd ask her, how was it? And she'd say, it was just wonderful. And I'd say, you know, that was at the best a D plus. <laughs> You know, you need to bring it up a notch, you know, and slow down. <laughs> so, yeah, I... You still do that today. I do. <laughs> I do. I do it to all the young pastors. <laughs> oh, yeah. You you shared with a lot of people. Yes. Even unsolicited. They don't ask it's for your always feedback. unsolicited. <laughs> we joke. We say, don't hang around grandma if you have unconfessed sin yeah. or if you want to be told the truth. Yeah. Yeah. It's always dangerous. Yeah. Now, early in the church, Grandpa was a key part in that. He would dye yes. his hair green for yes. the lime green Sunday yes. with the youth group. Yes. Um, but then he got sick. Mm -hmm. And obviously, it's a hard thing to talk mm -hmm. about. And I know even shortly after he passed away, there was a time period mm -hmm. where you were really mad at God. And he had brain cancer and had tumors mm -hmm. and uh, passed away 19 years ago. Mm -hmm. Talk about, I mean, the person that you love most on this earth— and I know it's hard, but talk about how how you processed him, seeing him die before your eyes, but then also you got mad at God. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, first, let me tell you a quick story about your grandfather. He, after he retired, he became the janitor at the church. And at he was the an time. auto mechanic before. Yes, he and was, was in the military. He would work for Cadillac, yes, for Key Cadillac. And uh, he... He became a janitor at the church, and someone came up to him one time. He was in the bathroom cleaning the toilets, and they said, aren't you Pastor Rob's father? And he said, yes, I am. And they said, and you're cleaning the toilets in the church? You know, kind of like you shouldn't be doing that. And he said, yes, I consider it an honor to clean the toilets in the house of God. And so that's 
Mm-hmm. That's who he was. Mm-hmm. That is who he was. So, and we were married for 39 years. And he was, he was just a wonderful person. He was a wonderful person. And when he died, I didn't think it was fair. We had a whole bunch of pastors in our family. I figured that shouldn't happen. We should. We had people praying all over the world. That should not happen. Mm-hmm. And when he did die, I. it wasn't like I walked away from God. It wasn't like that at all. I was still doing things in the church. I was still using my gifts, but I was angry. I was angry at God. Um, I figured, why bother? If I pray, you're not good. you're going to just do what you want to do anyway. So why should I bother praying? You know. And I just went to a funeral where the wife of the man that died got up and gave the most beautiful talk, and she was so honoring and and how much she loved the Lord and how all this. And I walked out of there and I thought, you are the worst human being <laughs> that God has on this earth. For two years, I was so mad at God. I I was so, so, so mad at God. And finally, and I would go to bed at night. I would go to bed at night, Logan, and I would say, I don't want to wake up tomorrow. I don't want to wake up here. I want to wake up in heaven. And I would grumble and complain and whine and bellyache and just carry on. And finally, God said to me, you know what? I've had enough. I've had enough. Knock it off. And I said, okay, so I'm thinking I can once again negotiate with God, which you can't negotiate with God. God is God. But I said, here, I, I promise I won't bellyache about being here as long as there's things that you want me to do, as long as there's a purpose and a reason for me to be here. I will be here without belly aching. And I guess he's still got something for me to do because I'm still here. And there have been so many things. Yeah, I remember a time we were all at a family event and uh, at one of my uncle's house, they have a pool. And you were sitting in a seat and you were able to see something that no one else was. Mm-hmm. Yes, my little five-year-old grandson, Wyatt, had he had left the pool, and we had life jackets on them, but he left the pool to go to the bathroom, and he came back, and he snuck by all of us and jumped in the pool. And all of a sudden, I saw him, and I screamed, he's drowning. And your dad was sitting right next to me, and he jumped up, and the two of us ran over to the pool, and he said, who is it? Who is it? And I said, Wyatt. And he grabbed his phone out of his pocket. I think that's the only thing he took out of his pocket, and dove in and got Wyatt, and I was on the other side of the pool, and he threw him up to me. And so I realized if there were no other reason for the rest of my life, that was enough of a reason for me to be alive and for God to keep me alive. Now, I can tell you there have been so many amazing things that God has done. I have been able to do things and that you would just never dream of. One of the things, you got a tattoo. Yes, I It's did. on your, your right wrist for yes. those listening audio, it's, but for those on video, did. they can maybe see it. It says yeah, IBTJ. Know. Yes. And when you got it, somebody you, you made people guess what it yeah. said. And what did someone say? Well, they— one person said, I've been to jail. 
<laughs> Which is kind of true. I mean, yeah. Absolutely. And in there plenty of times. Absolutely. But what does it stand for? It says, I belong to Jesus. And it's because at the time, I was probably 70. 70? Your first tattoo? Yeah. yeah. And only. I don't have any, but well, that's okay. Mac has one. You've got a lot of time yet. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but most of my friends were Christians, so it's hard to bring up. A, you know, have a conversation. And so now it's getting kind of blended together because it's getting old and it's just kind of mushing together. Yeah, no, I don't. <laughs> and, and, uh, but it was something where people would say, because they could see it was a new tattoo on an old person. So that must mean something. And so they'd ask me, you know, and the funny part of I've been to jail, I'll tell you the story. We had, one point, our third son, he was like six weeks old, Roger. And I had heard that there, the kids in the neighborhood, there were some, and including our foster children, were planning on a suicide, that they were all planning on killing themselves that night. And so I called the police, and back then you didn't have car seats for kids. You just carried them. And now I have this little three, four, five, six-week-old baby that I'm nursing, so I can't leave him. So I'm carrying them around in the police car, and we're going looking for these kids. And we finally find them, and we bring them to jail. And I said, well, what am I going to do with my baby? You know, because I, I, we're in jail. You know, I can't just leave him anywhere. And they said, well, we've got an empty cell here, so just put him over here. <laughs> they locked him in the cell. And so when it says I've been to jail, I think of that. Three <laughs> weeks old, first time in jail. It's a safe, safe spot. <laughs> yeah. Roger also had a time where he was in a serious accident yes. and he was medevaced to HCMC yes. in Minneapolis, the yes. hospital there. And the doctors said he wasn't going to make it. Every day they'd tell us he's going to die. What did you think? I just was getting irritated with the enemy saying that. And so, of course, not at HCMC. You didn't look crazy if you were talking to yourself or talking <laughs> to the wall. So I looked perfectly fine. And I just went over to the wall, and I was just kind of having an argument with Satan, saying, you know, uh, you can have his body. His body is not the important part. You can't have his soul. His soul belongs to Jesus, and you know his soul belongs to Jesus. So back off. You know, and it continually got better and better. They told us he'd be in the hospital for six months, and he was out of the hospital in three weeks. Well, didn't early on they tell you that he was he had passed, and you said their machines were broken or something? Yes, yes, they had a brainwave machine. Uh, well, I'll have to explain. His head was cut from the top to the bottom, and there was glass all in his brain. His uh, the eye socket was broken in several places, his jaw. They told us his neck was broken and his back was broken, and praise God it was not. You know, they were—and every day we'd see something heal. We'd see God move. And we had people praying all over the world. And this brainwave machine, they said, if, if it goes up—I think it was above 15—that his brain is swelling and he's going to die. Well, it would go 13, 15, 13, 16. 13, 17, and it was robbing me of my faith. And so I finally said, I can't look at that machine. I can't watch it because it's robbing me of my faith. And so I left. I walked away. And about an hour later, the doctor said, uh, it's the machine. It wasn't 
Roger because they said if his brain was swelling, he'd be thrashing around and they'd be seeing some, you know, some other things. But it was like the devil just wanting to just show you that and just say, look, watch, watch, watch. And how easy it is to rob us of our faith. Mm-hmm. And sometimes we just have to walk away and say, nope, I'm keeping my faith. You talk about joy a lot. You know, you've mentioned it with your dad and brother and how people can have faith but not joy. Mm -hmm. How do you get that joy if you've lost it? I don't know. Well, you you seem to, you lost it for a while, right? After what, I mean, what shook you back? Was it just getting a purpose again or? Yeah, it was was making the decision that I was going to follow God. I was going to do what he said, you know, and in spite of how I felt, it didn't matter if I was feeling terrible. I was still going to do what God was asking me to do. And I think sometimes when you have to fight against yourself like that, you realize you you move into joy faster because you're fighting against yourself. And God gave me some pretty significant things to do you know, uh, of, of stepping out in faith, you know. And so when you have to step out in faith and you have to put your money where your mouth is, you, you receive that joy. Right. Yeah. One thing that our family has done a lot of is those steps of faith that you talk about. But we've talked about this before, but when you're taking steps of faith, you often have to address the things that are obvious to everyone else. But, are, but maybe no one's willing to address. There are conflicts that come head on in your life and you've had a few of them. Mm-hmm. Um, but a, a lot of people just put their conflicts aside and almost wait for them to come up again to deal with them. But talk about your approach. Well, are you talking about me confronting things? I am. <laughs> you never uh, do that. <laughs> I absolutely confront things. I I. I, matter of fact, when we talked about this before, I said, um, I don't like elephants in the room, you know, and people talk about the elephant in the room that's something that you just can't talk about. Well, I got to tell you, and I did tell you this the other day, elephants poop, and they poop big poop, and you have to shovel it out, and I'm sorry, I don't want to do that. So I would much rather confront the situation than have the elephant in my house. Now, most people, apparently, they get used to the elephant, and they don't mind shoveling it. I'm sorry, I'm not one of them. I would much rather talk about things and just deal with it. Deal with it. Why do you think people are willing to live with that? Wow. If I knew the answer to that, we'd be millionaires. <laughs> Why do people? Why? I don't know. I don't know whether they think they're not worth it to have the answer or to, you know, or that it's going to cause a bigger fight or, you know, I don't know. I, I have just found in my life that it's easier, difficult at the time, but easier to deal with than to leave it alone. You know, and uh, so I trust it. So you listen to the voice of God. You're hearing 
hearing God speak to you about all sorts of different things. And then all of a sudden one day God asks you, I want you to start praying for this pop star mm-hmm. named Justin Bieber. Mm-hmm. Now you'd never heard of him, Mm-mm. but God puts him on your heart. Mm-hmm. What, what was your response to that? I thought, okay, fine. You know, uh, I, I knew he was a singer for young kids, you know, for young people, but that's the extent of it. I, I did not know anything about him. I had never heard him sing. You know, I nothing. But God said to me, I want you to pray for him. But he didn't just say, I want you to pray for him. He's, well, when he started out, he said, I want you to pray for him and get other people to pray for him. And he said, he's been in hell, not the literal hell, but the hell of the music industry. And he, I, I want you praying for him. And I said, okay, fine. So I started telling people, you know, anybody, just be praying for this young man, Justin Bieber. And uh, then God said to me, I want you to tell people that you're going to lay hands on him and pray for him. I was kind of like, um, are we sure about this? Yeah. And, and okay, I'll, I'll believe this. I'll believe this. But he said, no, no, I want you to tell people that you're going to lay hands on him and pray for him. There's a whole lot of difference between me praying for him and believing that I'm going to lay hands on him and me telling everybody in the room that yeah, God gonna, said. They're going to think you're like Biden or something. You're crazy. Yeah. By this time, by this time, I mean, I had to be in my early 70s. We were way past the fact of whether I'm crazy. You know, if way past that, way past that, half the people would say yes. And but you're I, crazy, but you're right on stuff. But but yeah. I thought you're still 100. percent Yes, <laughs> I I thought no. I know what I know. This is God. I know this is God. And so I started telling people that, and that uh, you know that I'm going to lay hands on him. I didn't know how. I thought, well, maybe I'll run into him at the airport. I don't know. Whatever. I didn't care. I. Put it out of my mind. And it, I go to church every Saturday night. And this particular Saturday night, a friend of mine called and said, hey, could you help someone at a wedding? Um, she needs help. And it was my best friend. And I said, certainly. And so I could go to church Sunday morning. That wasn't a problem. And so I went to the wedding, and then the next morning, Sunday morning, I'm up getting ready for church. And your dad calls, and he says, Mom, I need to have you get to church. And I said, well, I'm walking out the door. I'm just about ready to go. And he said, no, no, I need to have you get there. And I said, what's going on? Is the church on fire? What's happened? You know. And he said, Justin Bieber's going to be there. And I went, you've got to be kidding. God brought him here to me? And I, so I told your dad, I said, I'm going to lay hands on him and pray for him. And your dad's like, whoa, you know, make sure this is the Holy Spirit. Well, he, and was, I, he was heading out of town. He was. So he was I, gone. He was in town for a concert, and yep. a, a pastor, a friend of ours, texted us and said, hey, he's looking for somewhere to go to church. Told him to go visit you guys. And so here we were. There they were. So your dad's like, oh, make sure it's all. I said, we're way past that. We're way past that. So he came, and I did get to pray for him. Mm-hmm. And I thought, 
Okay, that is just, that's really something. I mean, that's when you know that when you hear from God, uh, because you can say, well, God told me to pick up eggs and give them to my neighbor because they were hungry. Well, you got a pretty good chance that that's true. When you say you're going to lay hands on Justin Bieber, that's pretty far out. You, you know, you're going to be tested on this one. You're going to either pass or fail. And so it was a pure pass, you know. know, And so it was probably a few months later, and I was sitting in my living room, and God started speaking to me and said, I want you to write a letter to Justin. And I'm like, oh, okay. I figured he brought him here. There's a reason that he wants me to do this. So I sat down and started to write him a letter, and then— God interrupted me and said, you didn't read your soap today, our scripture reading. Yeah, we we do as a church, scripture, observation, application, prayer, where we have one or two chapters a day that we all read. Yep, so I thought, okay, and I kind of was joking, you know, do you want me to write the letter or read the scripture? And uh, I went over, and our scripture reading for that day was Colossians and Colossians 2, And I started reading it, and I realized that I had underlined that some other time when we had read the Bible, and Justin's name was up there. Yeah, for those who are just listening on audio, it's it's right there in in your Bible, and it says Justin, and it's underlined. Yeah, yeah. And so I wrote that, I wrote that on there, and it says, so then, just as you have received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith that you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. See that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophies, which depend on human tradition and the elements of spiritual forces of this world rather than of Christ. So I wrote that down and then wrote the rest of the things that God wanted me to put in the letter. And I thought, okay, now I'm not going to mail it to him because obviously things, it would not get to him, you know, that's not what God intended. And I, but I didn't care because I knew that there was, God had already taken care of that. Well, your mom and dad were going to a conference in Australia, and I made copies, two copies of the letter, and I said, when you get there, whichever one sees Justin Bieber, give him this letter. And your dad says, well, we don't even know if he's going to be there. And I said, oh, no, 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 that's, he's going to be there. That's fine, because this is how the letter is going to get to him. And it's, it's crazy how you can say things like that with such, be so sure. Yeah, you know? it is. I mean, be so sure. But when you know that you know that you know that you hear God's voice, then you're, you're okay. So they took the letter over there, and sure enough, he was there. And your mom had gotten together with the people that were at the conference, and she prayed, if I'm supposed to give him this letter, then, God, you have to set yeah, it up. Yeah, they said, we're not going to track him down. And no. If, if he's, even if he's at this conference, which he was, right. um, we're, we're not going to chase him down. That's, nope. not, that's not at all what the story's about. No, yeah. no, absolutely not. And so your mom said they're on an elevator, they get in an elevator, and all of a sudden they hear somebody holler, hold the elevator, hold the elevator, and a hand pulls the door open, and it's Justin Bieber. Well, you can't get clearer than that. And so they gave him the letter, and all I had asked for was, Lord, let me know that he read it. And they did see him reading it. 
And so I, all of these things happened to bring something to him, you know, not to involve me in his life, not at all, not at all, just to bring God bringing the message to him so that he could see these things. Yeah. So. Well, and even as we talked about this, I mean, that was seven years ago, mm -hmm. right? And for about five years, we said, it's not our story to tell. I mean, it's, mm -hmm. it's not... The story isn't about a famous person. No. And even recently, we've told this a couple times mm -hmm. and just felt, I don't know, this, the, the point of the story is not that, oh, Grandma laid hands mm -hmm. on Justin Bieber. Mm -hmm. Although it's cool and, mm -hmm. and it's it's a great example of you had to hear from God. It's an example of that. It's mm -hmm. hearing from God. It's mm -hmm. listening to the Holy Spirit. Yes. It's being focused on what God is speaking to you. And, and as cool as it is that, you know, this is a part of that story. I know even mm -hmm. for you, you thought you're thinking, I don't want this to be a something that just gets clicks and views, mm -hmm. right? But you you've said even to me, I hope that someday he can see the impact that it's making with yeah. people. Cause what you've now been able to do is you've shared this at a dozen youth groups. Yes. You've traveled in different settings to young people across the world yes. sharing this story so that they can be responsive to the voice of God and to the Holy Spirit. Talk about some of those moments. Well, I think I think one of the things to make it clear, this isn't a story about Justin Bieber and the Holy Spirit. This is a story about the Holy Spirit and Justin Bieber. And so Justin Bieber is a player in the story that the Holy Spirit is using. And He's using him because he is popular and can, you know, bring the attention to the Holy Spirit. But it is by far 100% about the Holy Spirit. And I, I had on my 80th birthday, I, for two weeks before my 80th birthday, I had been thinking, God wants me to go to Turkey. And I thought, that is the craziest thing, you know. Uh, and, and I started looking up. How far is it? How long is it going to take me? Why would I be going to Turkey? And uh, then on my 80th birthday, we had opened all the presents. And then at the end, your dad gave me a card. And it said, this is from the elders. The elders are sending you to Turkey. And I just cracked up. I thought, what is this that I'm going to Turkey? Why am I going to Turkey? And But I thought it sounded great. You know, and he opened the door for me to go and to bring someone with me so that, you know, I could share the experience. And uh, Rachel, bless her heart, she's, she just is my little bodyguard, you know. And so we got over to Turkey, and still, we were just there having fun. And then the missionary said, no, no, you're going to share your testimony at our international school. And I resisted, and he said, no, no, you are, that's what you're here for. So I did, and it was such a Holy Spirit moment because we had kids from all over the world there, and they were, they were being filled with the Holy Spirit, and there was revival going on in that school because of the Holy Spirit and Justin Bieber. And so what I would love is that I would love him to be able to find out and to know how much the Holy Spirit is using his life to reach people and tell them about him, the Holy Spirit. 
Yeah, it's cool. I was on another global team, and I met someone who was a part of the church in the country we were in. And I said, how did you come to faith in Christ? And he said, you're never going to believe this, but Justin Bieber came up with this album. And at the end of his album, he talks about his faith Mm -hmm. and how he's like up and down and he's struggling. And he said, and I had never heard of Jesus before. Mm -hmm. And so I went and did some research and found a Bible and I gave my life to Jesus. And so it is interesting how, again, God can use anybody and, and we're... We're just people, right? Yes. We're just a small part in yes. his big plan, no matter what, if yes. you're famous or you have no followers or whatever it is. And so yeah. I think seeing that as a part of your story now, I mean, it is crazy how that how that even happened. Mm-hmm. It, I remember as a kid, I felt this, and you and I, we have similar gifts mm-hmm. in, in the Holy Spirit, and you've talked to me about this. We've talked a lot, but I remember always thinking, I know I'm going to meet him someday. Mm-hmm. I didn't know I was right. going to pray for him. Right. And I was with you that day. Right. But but it's those little things where I'm starting to see that in my life to where there are these little moments, and I hope that there's people listening that they can know that those little things, that's God speaking to them. Mm-hmm. And those confirmations of, I know I'm going to speak you know, in front right. of my school someday, right. or I know that I'm going to get that job, or I know I'm... It, that's the gift of faith that's, mm-hmm. you know, some is the, the word of knowledge. Some is mm-hmm. gift of prophecy. There's other gifts, mm-hmm. but obviously you're very passionate about people finding their gifts and not just finding Absolutely. their gifts, but using their gifts. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I just want to emphasize it's the Holy Spirit in capital letters and the rest of us in small mm-hmm. letters. We're just, we're just every now and again, get to be part of it. Right. Now you brought a prop with you. And oh. it's behind your Bible. Yeah. And it's a chain, and you can maybe hear it wrestling. But talk about this chain, and you shared this on Mother's Day in the message that you have. But really, as we've gone through, obviously this isn't every part of your life, mm-hmm. but kind of the outline mm-hmm. of the story of what God has done through you. Talk about what God spoke to you the other day about this chain. Well, it was kind of funny. We were – I was – on vacation with your mom and dad, and your dad said to me, hey, I, I want to have you speak on Mother's Day. I thought he was kidding. You I know. thought he was kidding, too. <laughs> yeah, I did. I thought he was kidding. And so I just ignored him. You know. And then I asked your mom, I said, was he kidding? And she goes, no, I don't think so. I didn't and, know it was real until like three days before. Yeah. I, I said, oh, you weren't kidding. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I said, too. And I, I said, what what are we going to talk about? We didn't talk. You know, I like do you have something, you know? And so it was either the day of or the day before we got together, and he said, give me five words. Well, I gave him six words that the Holy Spirit, because by this time, I I figure he's serious, so now I better start praying, you know, because uh, you don't want to hear from me. You want to hear from what the Holy Spirit is telling me. And so I started praying about it, and he said, give me five, six words, and we'll just go from that. And I know a lot of people don't believe it, but it really is truth. It's the absolute 100% truth. We did not discuss it. We, the five words, six words, and I said, there's six words. If we, if you, we run out of time, leave this word out. You know, that's not for today. And so I, God was showing me about this choke, this choke collar and 
I could put it on, but I'm not going to. But uh, it went, before you're saved, you have this choke collar on where God, you know, where the enemy just can lead you around and, you know, you're just helpless. You're just with him, you know, and then you get saved and you take the collar off. God takes it off of you. But so many people then allow it to go down to their ankle. And that was one of the important parts for me in that Mother's Day talk was that um, even though you're saved, you allow it to get down to your ankle where Satan still is controlling and saying, no, you can't do that. What would have happened? I would have been sitting here almost 81 years old with a very dull life if I had allowed the enemy to keep that around my ankle. When he said to me, hey, could you pray for Justin Bieber and then say that you're going to lay hands on Justin Bieber? If that ankle, if that had been on my ankle, it would have crippled me. It would have stopped me from doing what God wanted me to do. And so I, I just, I thought it was so great. And I do know there's a difference between when I talk and when the Holy Spirit talks. When the Holy Spirit talks, I'm listening and I'm like, wow. You know, even when we talked about the, the choke collar, it was like, God, how, wow. That is so, that is so true. You know, and, and I was hoping and praying that people would understand that and allow God to take that choke collar off of their ankle as well. Mm-hmm. Not just save them, but set them free. Mm. Set them free to do the things that God's calling them to do, even the scary things. The ones that are called to go into a mission field, they would never go if they kept that around their ankle. They'd always be held back. So I'm saying, be set free. Get set free by the Holy Spirit. We talk about you in our family story as the person who put the stake in the ground, right? Mm -hmm. And you changed your family tree, your family history, and now you have... Your grandkids walking with the Lord, many of them pastors I or know. Um, doing different things, honoring God with, mm-hmm. with what they're doing, some in the military. And mm-hmm. um, What would you say, there's a couple different groups I want you to address maybe before we close. What would you maybe say to the person that's later in life that feels like they've lost their purpose and or they, they feel like they've fallen short, they, they should have done more with their life, but they're still living, mm-hmm. but they maybe were like you were feeling empty and I'm, mm-hmm. I don't know what I'm supposed to be here for. And then after that, maybe to a young person who's at the beginning, who's found this faith, or maybe there's people listening that haven't, but many who have found this faith earlier than 31 mm-hmm. or around that age, and they have their whole life ahead of them, so mm-hmm. to speak. Speak to those two different groups and maybe share a Holy Spirit encouragement to them. Well, for the people that are older, I would say knock it off. (laughs) Knock it off. You are so valuable. And something that I do that you know, I take my grandchildren out to lunch and just one-on-one and say, how are you doing? What's your biggest problem? What's the thing that makes you happy? What's going on in your life? And whether you want it or not, I pour into your life. And you can attest to that. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Sometimes mean, you punch me. But. Absolutely. Sometimes there's a punch. Sometimes there's a hug. But it's an encouragement and a, a, something to that I can impart to you 
that I have that you couldn't possibly have because you haven't been on the earth in it for 80 years. So you haven't been able to experience, you know, and I would just encourage every every older person that's retired, get involved in your church. Get involved in your community. Get involved in your grandchildren's life. Take them out to lunch and talk to them. They do want to talk to you. Well, even if they don't want to talk to you, talk to them. Be part of their life. You know, you've got so much to give them. That's what I would tell people that are older. And I just get irritated when people think that they're too old to do things. I was 80 going to Turkey, (laughs) having no clue why I'm going to Turkey. You know, and after I got back, I said, okay, that's the last trip I want to go on. I don't want to do this anymore. Don't do this anymore. And then God's going, yeah, okay, we'll talk later. (laughs) You know, and so I don't know what I have in store. I don't know what God has in store for me, but I'm going to do it. You know, and for young people, oh my goodness, I would say there's a lot of young people that are living the way they should be living. And there's a lot of young people that are part of the phoniness in the church, you know, and when, and, and young people will come to me. I, I meet with people all yeah, the time, do. all the time. I mean, all the time. And they start telling me, and I confront them about their sin and say, why do you expect this when you're doing this? You know, if you want the things that God has for you, then stop walking in the world. Stop participating in the world. I remember when I did 21 plus years ago with you. And I said to the the young people, I said, if your hands are places that they shouldn't have been on Saturday night, then think about it when you come to church and raise them up to God, you know, and those kids listened. You hear it, but you have to make a conscious choice that you are going to follow after God. And there's, it's so much better than being in the world. I mean, it is, I've been both places, and it's so much better, you know, and you're giving nothing up of value, nothing. But don't try to live halfway in between. You can't do it. You can't do it. It's all or nothing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a great message, and your story is powerful to many. I've heard it a lot of times, mm-hmm. obviously. We've talked about this before, but I was wanted to take a little bit of a different podcast for you to, as I'm teaching you what that is, to help people learn a little bit about your story. Mm-hmm. But I hope more so that the pastors, the church leaders, the young people the that are wanting to lean into the things of God, that are wanting to lean into church, serving him in the way that God's called them to do, that they'd be serious about mm-hmm. hearing his voice. And really that they'd be reminded that somebody who's not following Jesus, who's mm-hmm. teaching Sunday school when they shouldn't be, mm-hmm in their church mm-hmm. could be the catalyst for a family to mm-hmm. 
do amazing things for God. And obviously there are families upon families upon families that are, we're one representation of that. Mm-hmm. But there's people all over this world that need people to lead them to faith in Jesus so mm-hmm. that their family can be changed. And I just, mm-hmm. I think about that story so much. And I, the reason why I wanted you to share it is because I just think people have a perception, right? Of when they see the other side of things. And we haven't even gone into all the things that have happened mm-hmm. since the church was started mm-hmm. and the, the struggles and the, mm-hmm. you know, people that have betrayed and Mm -hmm. financial issues. And I mean, there's so much we could talk Mm -hmm. about, but the truth is that God is so much bigger than any of that. And when we change our perspective, realizing that, like you said, we're just the, we're the lowercase. We're Mm -hmm. just a small part in the story passing through. Mm -hmm. And what he's doing is ultimately what he's already done Mm -hmm. is enough. And so any last thoughts for anyone listening or pastors or church leaders or Anything that you'd say, oh, I wish I would have said that? Well, I think for me, the biggest thing is people, when they, when they know they're doing wrong and they continue to do it and they give you an excuse that there is no excuse, you know, and you have to make up your mind. You have to make up your mind. You have to stand up for what is right. And I often tell people, if you couldn't open your mouth, you couldn't open your mouth, you couldn't say a word, would there be enough evidence against you to convict you of being a Christian? Would you be shot? You know, would you be the one that they'd say, I know he's a Christian, you know, and you can't open your mouth. You can't, they, you can't say anything. It's the actions. How have you lived? How have you lived? And and that's so important. It's it's like I can say whatever I want to say, but talk is cheap. Talk is cheap. You can say, I, I mean, people do it all the time. You know, they do it all the time. There's churches full of people like that. You know, and so you have to make up your mind. You're going to be 100% in, and you're going to confront evil. You're not going to sit back and hide and be afraid. And I want to have people be Daniels and Davids. You know, uh, I want to have them be Josephs. I want to have them be, you know, we should have those people now. We should be able to talk about that and and point them out in church and say, you know, I know that young man. That young man is just like David. That he's just like David. You know, and I want to see that. I want to see that. I want I want people to say that Ketterling grandmother, she's crazy. She thinks she's going to pray for Justin Bieber and lay hands on him. That's fine. I want them to say that. I want them to follow the prompt from God, you know, and and stand up for what is right. Because if they don't stand up, who's going to stand up? You know, who's going to do it? Well, it's a great challenge to all of us, and I hope that we would be the type of church and that all those listening would be the type of churches that will stand up for those things. We are. Yes. (laughs) We are. We just need to declare it. Each and not as a group— not as a not as a, a River Valley church, not as that. We need to declare it each person individually that I am a follower of Christ, no matter what the cost. I am a follower of Christ. 
I am gonna, I'm gonna do what he calls me to do. I'm gonna speak the words that he wants me to speak. I'm not gonna cower and be afraid. I'm gonna do it. We just need to make up our mind and do it. Amen. Mm-hmm. Amen. Amen. <laughs> <laughs>